0: IBEC, the voice of Irish business. In this episode of IBEC Responds, IBEC Chief Economist Ger Brady and Executive Director of Employer Relations, Maeve McIlwhee, sit down to discuss the upcoming budget and the far-reaching impact of increasing labour costs for businesses.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm here with our Director of Employer Relations, Maeve McIlwhee. Maeve, we're getting kind of close to budget time. We're also in the part of the year where lots of companies are looking at their their budgets for next year. They're trying to plot ahead in terms of costs. We're seeing a lot of change in the labour market at the moment. Could you give us the kind of outward zoom of what you're seeing and then maybe zoom in a little bit on the kind of increases in regulated labour costs which we're here to talk about today?
0: Hi Ger. Yeah, so obviously very significant changes coming um, all across the labour market at the moment, as you say, from regulation through wage pressures. Um, I think at this time of the year, very conscious that lots of employers are budgeting now into uh, the next 12 to 24 months, depending on how deals and pay is negotiated in, in different types of environments. What we've definitely seen over the course of this year is very tight labour market that has actually driven wage expectations. um, And I think we're probably going to see some of the same challenges into next year. So very definitely a, a time of concern for employers now trying to identify what's coming down the track and then. I guess as we look at specifically what's coming we've obviously seen an enormous amount of legislation over the last 12 24 months um particularly uh, legislation that brings considerable cost to the labor market so we've seen the increase in statute the introduction of statutory sick pay with a potential increase of a further 2 days on the initial 3 that are being reviewed um for January of next year um obviously we're expecting auto enrollment on pensions in second half of 2024.
1: Time to be decided.
0: Time to be decided and uh, I think more particularly though the national minimum wage and the current uplift in the national minimum wage that we understand is proposed by the Low Pay Commission is a really significant issue for many businesses across the economy.
1: And so we've kind of seen the the leaks on that living wage and it's it's not just this year it's a journey that we're starting out on which is a big structural change. Could you kind of go through for listeners because I guess the feedback we've got is some people very very clued in on where we're going and what policy looks like others coming to it a little later others maybe this might be the first time they're hearing it so so from brass tacks what what is happening
0: Yeah, we're definitely seeing that at the practitioner level as well. So we've got lots of um, challenge around understanding of what's actually happening in that space. So the Low Pay Commission were asked to look at how a living wage might be introduced over a number of years. And they have been undertaking an exercise around that and were to make recommendations during the summer to government around how we might achieve a living wage. So the recommendations of the Low-Pay Commission were that a living wage could be introduced w- over no more than five years um, and looking at how that might be uplifted year on year to get us to that living wage. Lots of discussion about what a living wage might look like and where it might be set. But ultimately, the recommendation is that it would be set at 60% of median wages.
1: And and if you if you think about that in euros, that looks kind of by kind of 24, 26 months time, but it started 2026. It looks about 15 euro an hour effectively as a a new minimum wage for for the economy and, and the government has committed to it.
0: The government has committed to it and they have committed to getting there by 2026 as well. So that is obviously going to require some pretty substantial uplifts. And you're right, we are estimating around €15 an hour um, by the time we get to 2026, depending on what, what else happens to median wages over that period of time. And so what we're really starting to see now is the I suppose the understanding of what recommendation we're likely to see around budget time is businesses that have never really considered themselves to be uh, near the national minimum wage are suddenly recognising that in two to three years' time that these increases are going to have a really substantial impact on their current pay base, but also all of the relativities that run through any employer's pay
1: structures. So, so the leaks we've seen um, over the summer from the, the Low Pay Commission or wherever the leaks came from suggest the Low Pay Commission are recommending uh, 12% of an increase in, in the coming year. But to reach that kind of 60% of median target the government have set by 2026, you'd have to hit another 8 to 10% in each of the two years after that. Um, so, so you're looking at probably a third of an increase in the wage floor. When you look at the members that you and your team talked on a kind of a daily basis, what does that mean? Is it just those minimum wage workers or we always hear about relativities? Um, for people who aren't in that space, the HRIR yeah. space, um, explain how those relativities work, how, how it kind of spreads through a business.
0: Yeah. So I think if we look in the immediacy, so at this very first level of increase that's coming through and how increases for the national minimum wage have operated for employers who have wage rates that typically start at the the national minimum wage, they have a scale For entrance into the business and typically that first entry rate for somebody with very little experience or no experience will tend to be at or just above the national minimum wage. And then you have a rate that applies for one, two, three, four years experience or however those are defined. They could go in in any particular increment upwards and generally to a certain level. Um, and so those are the relativities that are really impacted by this. So for every increase that you have at the bottom end of the scale, obviously, everybody is keen to maintain that differential between them and the grade of experience below them. And they want to see that increase up through the business.
1: So in a kind of a specific example, if you're a retailer, y- you might go into a retailer just out of school, you're stacking shelves, you might be at the minimum or thereabouts. You move up to the tills, you move into a more skilled role, you know, in the bakery or whatever else. You might move into a supervisory role. And every time you're moving up the pay scale. So when the pay floor moves, you expect to keep your difference between you and the, and the person who's just in the door effectively.
0: Exactly. And, and a reasonably um, sensible expectation in many ways, because you have achieved that experience. You have, you know, all of that learned experience within the business. And yes, y- people are naturally going to expect it. And in unionised environments, there will often be agreements around how those scales move um, and how they move relative to one another. So that that's really important.
1: So, so for people budgeting for next year, and even from a policy point of view, what what we're looking at, I suppose, is not just the increase for people who are at that minimum wage, it's the knock-on impact up the scales. And, and I know, you know we've talked to companies who are talking about big increases in their kind of labour costs, 20% or thereabouts, plus in some of those kind of most exposed sectors. How, I suppose, how can businesses... Plan for that. And I suppose the other part is what is IBEC looking for in the budget next week and and onwards over the next few years? How How can the government support businesses who are on this journey now, which will be difficult, I suppose, from a cost perspective for a lot of them?
0: Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the, the key things is to begin that planning now, because obviously they're very substantial increases. And as you mentioned earlier, we're going to look at two, at least two more very substantial increases that are going to come through. We know that for many businesses, even that first piece is going to leapfrog the next two. So we're probably looking at whole restructurings in some cases of uh, pay scales um, at the at the outset. So definitely quite a lot of Planning um, and management around uh, a lot of those particular issues. In terms of what we're looking for, um, we're very keen to see the government um, introduce some supports for employers to get them through this initial phase of the introduction of living wage. That was one of the key recommendations of the Low Pay Commission at the time that uh, they released their report reviewing the the data around the introduction of a living wage. Um, They have essentially said consideration must be given to the introduction of an economy-wide support scheme um, to support eligible businesses um, as they make that transition to the living wage. So what we have been looking for in the budget is obviously a scheme that would enable us to be able to do that. And typically what we're looking for is something that's going to be really targeted, something that's going to be effective, but also temporary. This is about making sure that we get so through this at this transition period, exactly.
1: And the best way to do that then, Maeve, I know we've been saying the PRSI system is the kind of easiest way because it's something we can do directly and quickly. Uh, and there's an existing kind of, way of managing and targeting all those schemes is is there is there any other supports that could be out there for for businesses on top of that or is there any other areas that that government needs to look at in terms of the social welfare system in terms of the taxation system to make sure they keep it ahead of the the new pay uh, rates of pay in the economy
0: yeah absolutely so in addition to looking at PRSI and and using that as a, a very clean and effective mechanism to be able to support employers there are lots of other implications so obviously exactly exactly as you say going to be lots of challenges around how social protection um, and social protection benefits are going to interact with a, a substantially increased national minimum wage and ultimately living wage. So got to make sure that we don't end up in a situation whereby people are um, finding themselves outside of the benefits that they might necessarily need um, and withdrawing labour from the labour market at a time when actually employers are uh, really desperately seeking out additional labour and also to make sure that we have an a appropriate social protection system within that.
1: So, so it's kind of two sets of asks. One is from an employer point of view to make sure there's a rebate effectively on PRSI to help offset some of the increased costs that they're yep. going to see a temporary one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second part is making sure that things like HAP or, you know, the working family payment or any of those payments that people aren't tripping up over thresholds in those payments as wages go up and then they lose their access to the payment and it, it takes away their incentive to work effectively so, so that you don't end up with two different government policies working against each other, right?
0: Exactly, yeah. It's to try and make sure that we don't have unintended consequences of that. And again, you know, particularly when we're looking at significantly increased female participation in our labour market we actually know that in many of these cases particularly things like sectors like retail and our experience economy where we do have lots of women working in roles because of the flexibility that those roles allow that if we don't manage this very well we may well end up with reducing that female participation but actually labour market participation overall.
1: Moving on to where we are and what the impact this will have on companies in terms of competitiveness. Obviously, it's a, it's a pretty chunky increase in costs across the board, across lots of areas. What kind of competitiveness impacts are, are we going to see in terms of costs for companies? And obviously, look, there's potential knock-on here for, for inflation and, and lots of other things as well as, as companies kind of move through the cycle of dealing with all these additional costs at once.
0: That's it exactly, Jerry. It's the fact that there are so many things that are coming at once. So, for companies, organisations, right now, it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of forecasting. Trying to, you know, assess their own sector, their own environment, and look at the competitiveness issues within each sector. For ourselves, I think one of the key issues that we've been raising with government for a considerable period of time now is that none of these issues that are coming down the tracks individually or independently are necessarily a key concern for organisations. In fact, many of the initiatives, things like statutory sick pay, things like all of the new um, statutory leaves that are being introduced. We don't hear any pushback from um, employers around the necessity or the appropriateness of them. The key challenge that we're finding as employers is just the scale and the intensity of the time period in which these are all being introduced. So we saw lots of new intro- introduction of legislation between the work-life balance, whistleblowing legislation and um, At the beginning of this year, we've got new medical care leave. We've got auto-enrolment due next year, an increase in statutory sick pay and the national living wage. And that's just, you know, the, the very top line of the most expensive ones. And it's really the scale of the impact on businesses. It's trying to manage the administration and the additional labour costs that that brings into every business. So I think our key competitiveness messaging for government at the moment is, Yes, enormous cost. Yes, that has a real risk of running through as that that cost will have to be passed on in prices, which has an impact on inflation in the longer term. And in turn, as you know, on wage expectations, as we see that filter through. On the other side, that pile on of legislation in a very short period of time is also adding its own cost into businesses in a very significant way.
1: And and it's not just cost, I suppose, for... You know, in the traditional sense of there's an extra euro on the on the minimum wage, but it's also the amount of time and the amount of effort and the amount of resources that have to go into HR teams who are, are, are listening and are, you know, trying to deal with all of this uh, all in a very short period of time.
0: Really extraordinary amount of times and I think often underestimated in reality of of what actually ends up having to be done. We know for those companies who were first out on the gender pay gap reporting, just the scale of time, commitment, information gathering to publish those figures and get them right. We have obviously the next cohorts coming through in that regard. We also have our right to request remote working, right to request flexible working and domestic violence leave all likely to be commenced around November or December this year when those codes of practice and the guidance are ready for our retail and experience economies that actually couldn't come at a more challenging time which we have highlighted with Minister O'Gorman because obviously you're going into your really critical period um, in retail and hospitality at that stage so very, very challenging and expensive for businesses
1: And, and for a lot of um for a lot of businesses, I suppose, as well. This is, when we talk to companies, this is really important to companies who are always switched on to the cost competitiveness arguments. But this reaches well past what people would traditionally think of as employers who are impacted by the minimum wage. This is for everyone because €15 an hour is is a really significant change. Um, and, And it's, as I said, 26 months away now, effectively, that a lot of companies and like annualized that's 30,000 a year. Um, like, if you think of it like that, a lot of people are going to need to think about this in a way they probably didn't in the past. So it's a broader group of companies than we traditionally would have thought of. Right.
0: We have a lot of businesses in touch around this. Um, and as budget comes closer and obviously people are more mindful of things like the um national minimum wage increase in a way that they wouldn't normally be watching it throughout the year. Yes, we're definitely seeing employers saying, oh my goodness, we would never previously have given much consideration to the increase in national minimum wage. It wasn't really within the remit of the organisation at budgeting time, but this is actually going to make a really significant difference. And absolutely across all types of sectors, and particularly into professional roles at junior levels, it's going to have a a really significant impact that is going to have to see a lot of salary restructuring even outside of that, that traditional sector.
1: So maybe we've talked a little bit about inflation and how you know the increased cost might pass through. What are the other ways, um, what are the other approaches that we're hearing from members that they may take to dealing with extra costs across kind of retail and the experienced economy and the kind of most exposed sectors?
0: I think when you look at those high labour cost, low margin businesses, obviously what employers are going to be looking at is can I take some of that cost out? Um, And typically that's going to be looking at reducing hours where that's possible Um, in some businesses, whether manufacturing businesses, but also we see it in, in some of our um, experience economy businesses the use of more technology coming through um, but I think what you'll really feel on the ground is actually reduced opening hours particularly in those very affected sectors like retail and the experience economy where employers will simply pull back they look at the most opportune times to be open um, and we'll, we'll definitely see reductions in the availability
1: for consumers of services um, We've already seen that to some extent in, in the kind of experience economy you know restaurants opening fewer days in the week that kind of approach is, is what you see coming.
0: Exactly I think we definitely see that maybe more seasonal opening than we already see in some of those sectors um, yeah and definitely a, a dropping of days or perhaps a dropping of things like split shifts. so lunch times and dinner, dinner times may be one in favour of the other so I think employers are definitely going to be looking at all of those cost reduction factors.
1: Sounds like lots of work ahead for for HR teams over the coming months, Maeve, and and indeed finance teams. Thanks very much, Maeve McAuley.
0: We hope that you enjoyed this episode of IBEC Responds. To explore our full podcast offering, visit ibec.ie slash podcasts and make sure to follow IBEC Podcast to stay up to date with new episodes. IBEC, the voice of Irish business.